Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. So as they're uh, setting up for something we're about to see, I want to kind of preface it with a couple things. The past few nights we've been talking about Isaiah 61, how God is sovereign, how God's not only sovereign, but he desires to free the captives. He desires to comfort the mourning. And tonight, we're going to get into the fact that God always looks to bring beauty out of ashes. He always looks to bring good out of bad. He always looks to do something amazing where it looks like we're hopeless. And so the verse that we're going to be looking at tonight is found in Isaiah 61, verse 3. And provide, it says, after he said, comfort all who mourn that we just read yesterday, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. And all three of those things, God is taking something bad and saying, no, 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 I don't want that for them anymore. I don't want that for you anymore. I don't want you in despair. I want you to be in joy. I don't want you to be mourning. I want you to have me instead. I want to give you beauty in place of ashes. And of all of the uh, skits that I've seen RVR do in the past five years, this is the one that resonates the most with me. I think it helps embody what we're talking about this week, so I hope that you'll give them your undivided attention. It's not a three to five minute skit. It's a little bit longer than that. If you have issues with flashing lights and things like that, you might want to go towards the back of the room during this or just close your eyes where you're at if that's kind of your thing. Um, I don't want anybody to have a seizure or something. But we do have some of that and some sudden loud noises, but it's very good. And this is put on, again, by RVR, by a lot of your counselors and so forth. And I just appreciate them for that. So I hope you guys enjoy this. hope you get a lot out of it. The verse we looked at a few minutes ago, I want to kind of hit on a couple of things. There's, there's, there's a positive and a negative for several different parts of this that God says that he's going to do for us. He provides for those who grieve to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A crown's always put on top of the head, right? Like for princesses and princes and kings and queens. The, the crown is placed up there on the head, and ashes were placed on the head too. Back, when, back in the day, like way, way long ago in, in, in biblical days, when somebody was mourning, when they had lost a loved one, they would put ashes on their head. They would wear sackcloth so people would know, don't bother me, like I'm, I'm, I'm in mourning right now. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that away. You don't have to be in mourning. I'm going to pull that away, and I'm going to give you a crown of beauty instead. Then it says the oil of joy instead of mourning. It, it, it's holding those two, contrasting those two things. Mourning is when we're just super, super upset about things that we're going through, and the oil of joy uh, comes along. Now, you might not think of oil like is a joyful thing. You're like, what are you going to use oil for? You put it in your car. But you know, back then, they would put olive oil on someone's head, which meant that they were going to be a king or a prophet or something. They'd break that over their head like a, a little flask of it, and it would just go all over them. Or they would put it on their sheep. Like they would put oil on their sheep's head to keep parasites away so that they wouldn't crawl on their ears and mess them up and everything. And he's like, I'm going to I'm going to trade that out, that oil of joy instead of mourning, and then a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Instead of being wrapped in hopelessness, I'm going to put this on you where you realize that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. Every single one. So it's this downward blessing. It goes like from the top of the head, all over the head, all the way to our toes, where God says, when you're with me, I'm going to make sure 
that your outlook on life is going to be different even when you go through some of the same things. To take those ashes, that visible sign of grief, the mourning, that grief of the heart, your emotional self when you're hurting that way, and even that spiritual turmoil that's wrapped up in that spirit of despair and then to trade it out altogether. Now you saw a tree up here tonight, right? And that tree represented several things, you know. One, it had a bunch of human history on it, all of the bad stuff that has happened to us over human history. But it also represents that original tree, that original tree that was in the garden. One of the questions I had as a kid, hearing about the Bible and stuff, was like, wait a minute, are you saying that if God didn't put that tree of knowledge of good and evil there, didn't give humans the warning about that, then we'd all still be perfect? No death, no diseases, no natural disasters, nothing bad. And that's true. But God would have a bunch of people who are following him because they didn't have any other option. Like if you were my friend and then I found out somebody was paying you to be my friend, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as excited about being your friend anymore when I find out that you're actually taking payment to hang out with me. God put an option there, not so that they would fall, so that they would have the choice not to follow him if they wanted to, and he still gives us that choice. He doesn't make anybody follow him. God's never forced anybody to follow him. And so he had this one tree, and every other tree, it wasn't like there was this really great tree to eat from, and, no, and they just couldn't have it, and he was a killjoy. He put all of this food in front of them, and they could have any of it, but they couldn't eat from this one solitary tree unless they wanted to opt out of a relationship with him, and, and in the end, opt out of life and joy. To say, you know what, I don't want to live forever. I, I just, I, I'm cool with being in charge of my own life rather than God being in charge. And they chose that. And then 2,000 years ago, God took another tree in the form of a cross and he allowed it to be put in the ground and his son to be put on it as a universal opt-in so that you can have a choice to be in relationship with him. We had a choice as humanity to be out of relationship with him and now we have a choice to start a relationship with him. And hopefully, I'm a visual learner, so hopefully this kind of helps you. I don't know if it will or not, but uh, I'm going to put on some gloves because part of this is tincture of iodine, which I picked up from Walgreens, and it will stain stuff. So I'm going to actually put on some gloves so I don't get stain on my fingers. This is the kind of stuff we used to put on wounds back in the day. Like when I was a kid, they'd put this on there and like leave this little reddish, blackish mark on your on your wound, and now people use uh, peroxide if you've got a nice parent, um, and alcohol if they're evil, all right? So (laughs) they put that because they burns. They're like, oh, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And they put that, ah, why'd you do that to my wound? So peroxide's like the nice way to go. You can even get it in like the spray bottles now where you're like, oh, it's fizzing. It's like Rice Krispies with milk. I mean, just unless you've got a really deep, if it hurts when you put on peroxide, you probably need stitches, It's a little too deep, all right? But we used this stuff back in the day, and this is going to kind of represent, oh my goodness, this lid is on tight. This is going to kind of represent us, our sin, rather. They kind of entered the world after a while. I'm going to use this to represent us. It's a handkerchief. Now, we don't use handkerchiefs much anymore unless you're 85, (laughs) <laughs> and you like put it in there. I got a little pocket square sticking out of my suit. I mean, you might do it just for looks, but you don't usually use it anymore to blow our nose on because we invented tissues a long time ago, and this is just nasty. 
Reuse snot rag. Yeah, that's what I want in my pocket. And you know, back in the day, you see older movies and the guy's being chivalrous, the girl starts crying and he pulls out his handkerchief and like she hands it to her and she wipes her tears. That wouldn't really happen. There's dried snot on there. It would like cut her face. She's like, oh, what in the world? What is this? Your handkerchief has scabs. No, no, it doesn't. It's just dried snot. I've had it in there for a month in my pocket. I take it out every day, set it on the dresser, put it in my other pocket the next day. You know, that wouldn't be good. You know, I can't, I can't believe people once did that, and there are still people out here there who do that, but it's nasty, all right? And so this represents us, and it doesn't represent us because we're full of snot or anything like that. It represents us because it's clean. I found something that I could show you from a distance that doesn't have any spots on it, doesn't have anything messed up about it. It just represents humanity like it was supposed to be. We weren't supposed to, our heart condition, in other words, we weren't supposed to be messed up. We weren't supposed to have sin blemishing us, and then Adam and Eve chose that. And humanity chose it, and we choose it more than once. And we look at it, and we, we look at ourselves, and we're like, oh, it's not that bad. And we kind of have viewed for a long time, a long time, every religion on the planet outside of belief in Jesus, which people commonly refer to as Christianity. Jesus never called it that. It's just what people call it now because Christian means like Christ. And the people who were doing that were trying to be like Christ, all right? They didn't name it themselves. It's what other people called us. They used to be called followers of the way because he called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Every other belief system on the planet says that you have to do good works in order to become one with the universe, come back as something better, get to heaven, achieve a state of enlightenment, or whatever afterlife little nugget that they offer, the carrot on the stick that you're chasing is doing more good than you've done bad. As if we can outweigh good and bad on some kind of cosmic scale. The problem with that is this. Sin goes to our core and it affects everything. And there's nothing we can do to outweigh it any more than if you had killed somebody and went before a judge and the judge said to you, okay, are you guilty or not guilty? And you're like, well, here's the thing, judge, that you really need to know. I helped my grandma weed her garden last year. And also you need to know, I, I, I took some clothing to a clothing drive and I've been tutoring a kid who can't read very well. And he's like, did you kill the guy? That's what they want to know. Not whether you did some good that could outweigh bad. And you might think, Nate, I have not killed anybody. The bad I've done is on a lower scale. And here's the thing, the lists of, of sins that we make, I could put a list of sins that I think are terrible on here, and it would include child molesters and terrorists and murderers and things like that. And it wouldn't include the stuff I've done. I'd put that on another list because it's not that big of a deal. You know, I took a couple things that didn't belong to me before, and I've lied, and I've been disrespectful, and I've gossiped or laughed at gossip. I've made fun of other people. All of these things on this list, not that big of a deal to me because I've done them, and you probably have done some of those too. And on this other list is the stuff we can't stand because we don't understand how somebody could stoop to that level because we haven't done those things. But every time we do a new sin, our tolerance for that sin goes up, and it's not that big of a deal anymore. And things that you thought were terrible when you were five aren't so terrible at 14 when you find yourself doing some of those same things. And by 20 and 30 and 40 
and you've lived a life where you've, where you've fallen to some of these things, this list of things that are not so bad gets bigger and bigger, and the list of things that are terrible gets shorter and shorter. But with God, he's never messed up. He's never messed up. There's no way to get sin out of there any more than if I had, let's just say this was spring water for a second, if I put a couple capfuls of arsenic into this, but told you that it's 90 to 95% spring water you should drink up. Now, the arsenic's either going to hospitalize you or kill you. It doesn't matter that there's just a little bit. The spring water doesn't outweigh it any more than our sin is outweighed by good works. If it was up to us to try to get into heaven on our own, we would have to be perfect. Perfect. No sin can come into God's presence. There's no eraser for it. There has to be punishment for it. And Jesus took that punishment on himself. And so when we start to look at just a few sins that we think have only been on the outside or it only affected me or it didn't affect anybody else so we didn't realize that it's trickled down and it has completely compromised who we are. What we typically do when we find that is we try to clean ourselves up. We're like, you know what? I would like to come to God I'd like this Jesus thing that you're talking about, Nate, but here's the thing. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the bad that I've experienced. You don't know the stuff that I've done. I want to clean myself up before I come to God. And we can't clean ourselves up before we come to God any more than we could sweep a dirt floor until it's clean. There'd be more dirt underneath it. But you could try. I mean, sure, yeah, you could get in there and you'd be like, you know what, I'm going to get all of this out of there and I'm going to just clean myself up and I'm just going to take this little spiritual bath by doing a bunch of good works and I'm going to try to get that off of there because ultimately water, that's a cleansing agent, right? And we'll just go in there and clean ourselves up. But what we end up finding out is not only have we made it worse, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that we've been looking through this week, it says all of our right living, all of our righteousness, all of our good works are like filthy rags before God. Anytime we try to do good on our own, it's like, is this good enough, God? God is looking at all of that iodine on there and being like, yeah, you don't get it. That's not going to clean it up. You're not going to be able to do this. You were never meant to do this on your own, and you can't start at imperfection and work your way to perfect. The imperfection is still there. And I'm not talking about like you're thinking, well, I don't like the way I look and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our sin. The way you are, the way God created you, he loves that about you. And this one thing is holding us back from being in him. We get tired of that. We get tired of messing up and, and, and trying to fix ourselves. And so we find ourselves going back into the same things again and again and then we, we're like, I think I've done this. I think I've done this. No, I'm, I'm worse than I was before. I'm going to try again. It's New Year's Eve. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to better myself. I don't want to do the things that I keep doing. But we find ourselves captive to those things. And instead of beauty coming out of the ashes, when we try it ourselves, we just make more ash. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And God has already provided a way out of this, this. Instead of this cycle of fooling ourselves into thinking that we can fix ourselves, he says, what about me? What about Jesus, who has already taken all of the sin that we have 
all of the sin that we have on himself. And that if we would come to him, not cleaning ourselves up first, but being willing to allow him to do something new in our life. If we would say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to come to you. Then he would take that sin and begin to work it out of our lives. Now, Christians aren't perfect right right from the get-go. They don't start off and be like, you know what? I am now doing all the right things. No, it's a process. And God starts to work on our heart and say, I don't want that for you anymore. Or I don't want this for you anymore. And pretty soon, now if this was actually Jesus, this would work a lot faster. But pretty soon, when we pull this out, we start to see that there's nothing on it. That God has done something really cool in us. And cleaned us up. And God doesn't do that so that we'll just be like, okay, good, I'm going to heaven, I know Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ in here, or if you come to Jesus Christ and you, you give him your sins this week, and he starts to make you new, and he does this same thing in you, he doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. As a matter of fact, the same environment that we affected for wrong, everybody around us when we were sinning, We're doing the wrong things. It doesn't just affect us. Look at everything else. This represents my school, my street, my family, the people people that I work with. It represents them because what I do affects other people. So what I do in finding Jesus should affect other people as well. I should be able to go to other people and tell them about the God that I found and tell them what Jesus has done in my life. Because if they meet the same God, it can make them clean too. And it can take everything that they did and erase it just as if they'd never done it. Now, the big big biblical word for this is justified. Justification. I know that's not what we say. We just say forgiven. But to be justified is like a courtroom term that means just if I'd never sinned. That's how you can break that word down. Simplest way to do it. It's justified, never sinned. God makes it as if there was never anything in my file in the first place and all my crimes have already been paid for, that the time has been served and it was all done by Jesus. Now typically, on Wednesday night at RVR, if you've ever been here before, we open the back doors in just a moment and allow you to go outside to have a private conversation with God, maybe for the first time, and to decide whether this is something that you want into. Whether you would accept Jesus' forgiveness. And here's the thing, it's not about just being forgiven so you can go to heaven, so that you don't have to pay for your own sins, any of that stuff. It's, It's about starting a relationship where God is the one running our life and not us. It's turning over control of our life. And saying, I'm accepting Jesus' death in place of mine. And typically, we just send everybody out, and they sit somewhere on this hill out there. And I know that the grass is wet tonight. I get that. And so we are going to make that available to you if you'd like to. Maybe you don't even care that the grass is wet. Maybe you just want to go out there and stand somewhere. But we're also going to make this room available to you. So in just a moment, right right after I pray for you, we're going to spread out. I don't want you near anybody else. This is a private time between you and God. You might be thinking, Nate, I'm not planning on making any kind of spiritual decision. That's okay. You can stay exactly where you are. Just make sure you're not near anybody else so you don't distract them because this might be the most important moment of their life. 
Maybe you're thinking, well, that's easy for you to say you're a pastor. <laughs> I was a 15-year-old kid at a camp who made a decision on a night like this that changed my life forever and took me from being a bully at my school where I had kids who told me later that they wanted to take their life because of the way I treated them and transformed my life into who I am today. I'm not perfect today, but God's got me on a completely different path. I know what life is. I have joy. And it's all because of Jesus. No matter what I go through, Jesus walks through it with me. And I've gone through a lot of stuff. My, one of my sisters has been in jail. The other one tried to, another one tried to commit suicide. I've buried several of my grandparents, had to do three of their funerals, preach the funeral myself. I've been through a lot of junk that you guys go through as well. But I've had Jesus with me through all of that. I didn't have Jesus when my first grandparent died. And I was hopeless. And everything I've been through since Jesus, it hasn't been a breeze, <laughs> but he's taken some of that load for me. And he shouldered what I couldn't carry so I could get through. That's the kind of relationship he's offering you. You're not having to do anything except be willing to let him take control. Except be willing to let his death on the cross be the ultimate opt-in for you to step back into a relationship that humanity lost with him when we put up this barrier of sin between us and God. It's very simple what you can do to make sure that you have that new relationship and life in Christ. When we spread out in a moment, whether that's in here or whether that's out there, um, you can just simply, right where you are, you can tell God that you want in. I want that relationship that you offered that you gave Jesus on the cross. And if you're trying to keep up right now thinking, how do I say those words? It's not about the words you say. It's about the attitude of your heart. So you just have a conversation with God. And if you give him your sins and give him your life, he makes good on his promise to forgive you of every single wrong, to make you new, and to get you ready to tell other people and to change their lives as well. That's what he does. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. Then I'm going to dismiss you. You can stay here. There's a ton of room here. Don't get on the stage, but there's a ton of room here in the aisle, all back there where there's no chairs, and out in the field, maybe in the little lobby right there or on the porch out here. You can even stay on the sidewalk out here. Just don't go too far beyond the bridge there. And then we'll ring a bell in a few minutes when it's time to come back in. When we come back in, something I, I really like doing every time I come to RVR is anybody who decides to make that decision, I would love to bring you up here, not to, not to toot your horn or make you some celebrity or something, but just to pray for you. Just to bring you up real quick, pray for you about this life in Christ that you're about to start. And then if you want to at some time in the future, this week, if you want to give me your name and you made that decision, I'll keep praying for you. And I've been praying for some people that made that decision last week when I was here that God will help them to start off this life right and to, to continue in that life of surrender to him so that he can do some amazing things in them. Let me pray for you, and then um, we'll put on some quiet music. And if you can, as quietly as you can, get in a spot where you can have some alone time with God. God, I thank you so much for each and every student here, Lord. Right now, I know our enemy wants to keep us distracted. The one we saw is death, who is actually Satan. Lord, he doesn't want anybody to make the decision that's available to them because of what you did on the cross. Lord, your death on the cross freed us from sin if we will have it in our place. 
you raising from the dead, just like we saw in this, in this play that we just saw performed in front of us, your, your resurrection, your raising from the dead, showed that you had power over death so that death doesn't have the final word on anyone who is in you. So Lord, right now I pray that you would, that you would free students from sin, from captivity, that you would comfort the mourning, and that you would begin to make beauty out of the ashes that have happened in our lives. God, for students who might not know what to say and they're kind of confused, God, I pray that as, as they look around and have this quiet time with you, that they would see the counselors that are walking back and forth and they just slip their hand up, God, so that a counselor could come over and talk to them and maybe answer some of their questions as they think about whether or not to put their faith and trust and hope in the God who gave them everything. Lord, for those that will make decisions tonight, God, we thank you in advance because we know you are a good God and that your gospel, that good news of what Jesus did on the cross, is the power to salvation. It's not how we, it's not how we make a cool skit. It's not any cool object lessons with handkerchiefs or anything else or any clever words that we could say, God, that you are the one who draws us and shows us that we are loved. So I pray that students would respond to that as you lay it on their heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As quietly as you guys can, some of you can spread out here. It's not raining anymore. There's places, or you can move around in here. Don't stay right where you are. Let's find another spot. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.